Uh, this morning, uh, we have uh, kind of a commencement address, is what I'm calling it. It's a perfect text for the occasion. It's actually a commencement and a commissioning. And uh, I'm going to take this text from John 15. What I'd like to do is just read the chapter. So if you have a Bible in any form, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, which is pretty typical. If you need a Bible, we have plenty. Anybody, just raise your hand. We can put a Bible in your hands at the moment. Everybody good? Laz needs a Bible. Right? Laz, right over. Help yourself there, brother in the basket. Yeah. All right? So I'm going to read uh, the chapter, John 15 through chapter 16, verse 4. All right? And then we'll talk about some things here this morning. Jesus is doing all the talking here. If you have a red letter Bible, all the words are in red. Red letter indicates the words of Jesus. So it's him speaking to us. He's actually speaking to the disciples, and it's literally hours before he leaves the upper room in Jerusalem, goes out into the garden, prays his heart out for us, is betrayed, arrested, and within 12 hours he'll be hanging on a cross. So that's the scene here. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bring forth more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. 
But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. As I said to you a minute ago, I, I'm calling this a commencement address because Jesus is about to graduate. He has one final exam to take, and that is offering himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And then he will be dead and buried and risen, and he'll ascend back to the Father. He'll go back home. That will be his, the end of his literal, physical presence here on earth. It's also, as I see it, a commissioning address. And as, I, as you noticed here in chapter 15, verse 16, he said that you should go and bear fruit. And so it's, he, he's concluding his ministry but his ministry on earth is not over. It's actually just about to begin in a broader, greater way as he sends his Holy Spirit into the church and carries on the work that he began, which is to preach the gospel to sinners that they might know Christ and be reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life. So his commencement is their commissioning. From now on, he basically is saying, I will literally be in you in spirit. And the reason that's important for the Lord to leave physically is that when he was here in human form, he was confined like you and I to one literal physical location. But now by virtue of his departure and imparting his Holy Spirit, he can be all places at the same time, forever omnipresent, and it's a much greater benefit. The disciples had the privilege and the pleasure of, of being with Jesus most, almost daily, of experiencing that close interpersonal relationship with him. But actually it's going to become more intimate, is now he, by his spirit, his very life will now come into them and will search their heart and mind and direct them and guide them and lead them into truth. And he will be their helper, just as he's always been. I want to show you the structure of this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Not just briefly overview, but I think it's kind of profound, actually, in the, the order and the organization of the Lord's heart and mind and the way that he talked with the disciples. You see, before he ever mentioned anything about the Holy Spirit to them, he first washed their feet, which was symbolic of him cleansing them, forgiving them of all their sin. That's chapter 13. And that's what really qualifies them for the ministry that they will have in the future. First, there's a cleansing, a forgiving, and a relationship with God. Then in chapter 14, for the first time, he introduces the equipping, the Holy Spirit coming into them. He actually said in 14 verse 12, I've done a lot of things. You're going to do greater things, greater in number, not greater in importance. No one can top what Jesus did on the cross. But there's a qualifying 
And then there's an equipping in chapter 14. And what I see here in chapter 15 and 16 is the sending. Now that we have a relationship, and, and soon I will give you my Holy Spirit, I'm with you, I'll be in you, and then I want you to go. In fact, we've read it now multiple times in the last few weeks. On the evening of his resurrection, he came into the upper room in John chapter 20, and he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the, that's why I call this the commencement, if you will, his own commencement address, but it's also the commissioning. And this applies to all men. Anybody who identifies as a disciple of Jesus Christ, this has current application at all times, has a special, of course, uh, interest today because it's Senior Sunday, I guess you'd say. So the Lord's speaking to all of us today. The way the chapter 15 breaks down, breaks down into three things. Verses 1 through 11, it's the vine and the branch. It's the relationship that we have with Jesus himself. It's a personal relationship, and he, and he uses the, the metaphor or analogy of a vine and branches, right? Verses 12 through 17, it's branch to branch. <laughs> it's the love that he wants for us to have among ourselves. And then in verses 18 through chapter 16, verse 4, and a little bit beyond, it's the branch in relationship to the world. All right? So as I see it, there's three things that the Lord speaks to us in our commissioning. Walk by faith, love one another, be strong and of good courage. It's essentially what he says. If you take those three areas, the vine in relationship to the branch, we're walking by faith. Remember, he's leaving. He will now be not physically present with them, but he'll be literally spiritually present with all of us. And so he's saying walk by faith in this truth, in this fact. Verses 12 through 17, love one another. And then the rest of the chapter and a little bit into chapter 16, he talks about hatred coming from the world. Be strong and of good courage. So that's the Lord's words to us on this commencement address and in our commissioning. Walk by faith, brothers and sisters. As you leave here, walk by faith in Jesus. I'm looking at all the seniors that I don't know if I'll see you again. Persevere. Walk by faith. Depend on what Jesus is saying to you and I right now. Love one another. Cursory glance over the list that Val supplied. I, several were saying, I'm, I want to get connected to a new church in the community where I'm going. Yes, because we know the need for the brethren, the need for community, to love one another. And we'll talk about some things. And then finally, be strong and of good courage. As Chuck Smith used to say, any dead fish can float down a stream. It takes a live fish to go up against the current. And the current of the world's system is against us. We'll talk about that. So first, uh, the first 11 verses, and I'm not going to go through all these verses in detail. I'm just going to highlight a few things and to make some some points, some applications. But the opening statement that Jesus says is, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. By the way, before I go any further, I just want to remind ourselves and be impressed in the composure and the compassion that Jesus has. Okay? Make no mistake. He's got butterflies in his stomach. He's already said that in his conversation with the disciples in chapter 12. My soul is troubled. And again, in chapter 13, he said the same thing. He knows what's coming. He's the only one in the room that really knows what's coming. But it's fascinating, is it not, to see his great concern for them, not for himself. He is totally concerned about the fact that they're confused and they're freaking out. They're about to cross a threshold and step into a, a future that is totally unknown to them. 
He mentioned at the end of chapter 16 where we read that some of you will perish. It actually happened. John and James, the brothers. James, the older brother. You come to Acts chapter 12, Herod killed him. Stephen is martyred. This is a real thing. Men excommunicated. They're not allowed to come into the place of worship that they used to go to where their family goes. No, no, you don't come here anymore. You're one of them. Out with you. It caused great trouble. These men had no idea. They presumed, and rightfully so, that Jesus was just moments away from taking the throne and releasing Israel from the bondage of being under a Gentile authority. All the prophecies had lined up and they were certain that he's the one. You are the Messiah, Peter boldly proclaimed. Who do men say that I am? You're here. Let's get it on. And with all that, the Lord is concerned for them. He's got butterflies in his stomach is what I think of. When it says that he's troubled, it's, that's putting it too lightly. He is very, very anxious about the wrath that he's going to incur. The wrath of God that will be poured justly upon him. And what we call theologically penal substitution. Don't ever move away from that core doctrine of the faith. He stood in our place and absorbed what we deserved. Sin separates us from God, alienates us, and is an offense to him. And the Lord, pure, 100% morally pure in body, soul, and mind, he offered himself as a living sacrifice for all men. Delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification. And so in his final words, these are really essentially his final words. He finishes chapter 16, and then chapter 17, he, he goes into prayer, and then he's arrested, and it's over. And his final words to you and me, he says, I'm the true vine, the true vine. Not a vine, I'm the true vine. True vine, it literally means I'm the source, genuine, real, which means I have, you and I have assurance. We have the guarantee that he'll always come through. He's reliable and dependable. I am the true vine. There will be many other thresholds for you and I to cross. Young people, you will leave Ithaca. You'll venture out into other things in your lives. And there'll be many other thresholds. There might be more graduations. There's going to be all kinds of things, issues that we will face in life. Big scale, famine, pandemics, financial collapse, false doctrines, religious fads, heresies, all kinds of things where winds of doctrines will blow. Personally, we have no idea what's ahead of us, do we? Any more than those disciples did. But Jesus knows. I am the true vine. I am the genuine, soul, original source of life. We're talking in the metaphor of a branch connected to something that the branch draws life from this. And without the vine, we don't make it. And what's very strongly implied is that I'm going to keep living. I'm going to keep living. And after this resurrection and the Holy Spirit and you begin to understand there's a bigger picture here, I'm going to leave. Not really. <laughs> I will leave physically, but I will literally be present with you spiritually by my Holy Spirit. I and the Holy Spirit are one. You've seen God, you've seen me. You've seen us all. We're all the same. Friends, there'll be many changes, many challenges in your lives. Of course, this is the stuff that commencement addresses are made of, right? People pay a lot of money to get somebody. We were up at Ashley's graduation at the U of R. They had the, the governor of Pennsylvania, a uh, very good speaker, like the guy. But it's very typical stuff, right? For personal anecdotes, and then he's like, but you, the, the, the road is open ahead of you. 
And here's the things to think about. And the Lord very much in the same vein, he's saying that to them. What's ahead of you? Job changes, moving, relocation, maybe children. Oh boy. <laughs> well, get married first. Maybe marriage, I should have said that way. <laughs> and then maybe children. <laughs> okay. Increased wealth. One of the greatest temptations is prosperity. You know, we can go through a whole list of laundry list of temptations. Temptations are always with us. Peace and prosperity is one of the hardest things to handle. We've enjoyed that for a good bit of time in our country and personally. Solomon couldn't handle it. He had the greatest wealth and peace and wisdom of anybody. Made shipwreck of his faith. What else is ahead of us? <laughs> Who knows what? Sickness? Accidents? On the negative side, right? Sudden loss? Disillusionment? Betrayal? Divorce? Remarriage? Church splits? Wow, kinds of stuff. I am the one constant in your life. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. You get me, you get the whole package. <laughs> you come to the father through me. And when you're in me, you're in God and we're in you. And we have this guarantee of reliable help and resource in our life. Paul's testimony, and Paul is such a great testimony and such a, a poster child, if you will, of the Lord's faithfulness and dependence in the, in the variety of experiences that we, he went through as we read in Acts. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it's worth just looking at it and, and reading it this morning. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You couldn't be said any better. Spoken from personal experience, Paul stayed attached to Jesus by faith. He is the true vine. He has strengthened me in plenty and in want, <laughs> in richer and in poorer. Here we are, we got newlyweds about to be married, right? Nearly newlyweds. And I was actually thinking of you, Kobe and Anna, <laughs> right? And just some of the vows that are taken at the altar are very appropriate for the future that we have, the future that we all have. I, Jesus, take you, Christian, Believer, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward, as long as we both shall live, <laughs> or until death unites us. Depend on the Lord, brothers and sisters. I'm the true vine. Of course, in that context, the Lord mentions fruit. He mentions fruit eight times in these little portion. What is fruit? And there's actually a progression, if you'll notice. There's fruit, there's more fruit, and there's much fruit. The Lord is looking for fruitfulness in and through our lives. I think primarily fruit is his nature more developed in our nature. It's us being more and more changed into his likeness. That is the primary meaning. I tend to off, I used to often think that fruit is this, that's the result of what I do. And yet in the context, the Lord's saying, keep walking by faith in what you know about me and you're going to continually learn about me as you walk by faith in your great commission. 
And as you do that, then there's going to be a greater pruning, as Jesus said. There'll be the father, my father is the vine dressers. There are things in our lives that need to be snipped off that aren't helpful to our spiritual formation. And so the, the, one of the primary things is Christ-likeness. This is the fruit. There's an increasing Christ-likeness that comes out of us, which is what? Love for God and compassion for others. Isn't it Micah chapter 6, verse 8 said it so well? What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? It's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what he's called us to. The other thing that you've noticed already, I'm sure, is that Jesus uses the word abide here, I think, 11 times in this short portion, verses 1 through 11. Again, it's the branch with the vine. That's the area that we're talking about right now. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. So abide. What's it mean to abide? Well, first it starts by being clean. (laughs) Verse 3, he throws this in there in this context of Uh, the branches and the vine. He says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, which means that attachment to the vine comes through salvation. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And by that happening, the miracle of new birth and attachment to the vine. He's my savior and he's my source for all time of life, of new life, of eternal life, of wisdom, and righteousness, and grace, and mercy, and all the wonderful things that we need for shaping our lives. Abiding starts by being clean. It continues by faith in Jesus' life. I'm the true vine. It applies, implies, as I said before, that he's always living unchanging and intimately involved in each and every Christian life. Intimately involved in every one of your lives. Isn't that what David said famously, Psalm 139? Where can I flee from your spirit? And he he chose the greatest extremes known to man. He goes, in every, I can never get away from you. Not that I'm trying. He's enjoying the omnipresence of God in his life. His, His favor and his faithfulness to us. So walk by faith, brothers and sisters, and cling. You can memorize John 15, 1 very easily if you haven't already. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He gives us a few tips in abiding, and I'll just highlight those in verses 7 through 10, if you will. Um, and he basically, he says, if you abide in, well, not basically, he flat out simply says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it will be done for you. <laughs> Amazing words there. Verse nine, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. How do we do that? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. There's no shortcuts, brothers and sisters. Okay? There's no shortcuts. Christian growth and development happens in the same way for all of us. Through reading the word of God, obeying the word of God, submitting to the word of God, written or manifest in flesh, Jesus, meditating on the word, memorizing the word, absorbing it into our life, and let it giving us a, a transformation. Isn't this he, Romans 12? Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which happens from reading the Bible, studying the word of God. It happens from prayer, from obedience and serving. And again, the Lord says... If you keep my commandments, in verse 10, you will abide in my love. In the context of the Lord commissioning his disciples, I see this as they are going out, right? This is future tense. They're they're going to be given the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and then the the ministry of the expanding the kingdom of God through Christ is going to start, it's going to (laughs) start. 
It's going to start. It's going to start first in Jerusalem, spread around Israel, and then eventually head out across the world. And so there's this idea of that as you are going, keep being submitted and being obedient to the things that I impart to you as you're going. It's real life, right? I've said it before, I'll say it again, because I love saying it to myself. I need to be reminded that when you read the book of Acts, it reads like a highlight reel. It leads like the stuff that you see post-game, like the Lakers lost last night. Sorry, Tito. But they did, so, you know, I didn't know. I didn't want to stay up and watch, but I caught a highlight this morning, right? And so what is it, a 40-minute game or 48-minute game condensed down in about a two-and-a-half-minute highlight? That's basically the book of Acts. It covers a, a whole length of time. But what you see are just highlights. And so I asked myself, what happened between Pentecost and Peter meeting Cornelius in chapter 10. Just getting up and going to work and being about the Lord's business day after day, routinely, if you will. Jesus lived for 30 years in total obscurity in Nazareth, doing a job, working as a carpenter. And when finally, when his public ministry said, the father, or started, his father said, this is my son in whom I have been well pleased because he's lived in faith and obedience and just not ripping off a customer, charging what was necessary, giving a credit when it was due, just doing business in a fair, honest way. So if you keep my commandments as you're going, it's, it's a living thing. It's not static, right? This is a commission that we all have, brothers and sisters, as you're going. So that's the first three. That's the first charge to us. The next portion is uh, John 12 to 17. Just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll look at, uh, let's look at that together. If you'll notice verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. He repeats himself. So he puts it in brackets, bookends. And in between, he tells us three things. How you love one another, sacrificially, mutually, and for the sake of the other, for promotion of the other. This is what the Lord teaches us here. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Right? This is the second time, actually, he's, he's given this commandment to the disciples. He did it shortly after he washed their feet. Where, you know, they came to understand later, but he said, look, as I have loved you, I loved you sacrificially. I loved you when you didn't deserve being loved. I did not take the stuff that you did that offended me and hold on to it. I did not regard it as something that I'm going to hold out and keep us in, in opposition to one another. One of the primary things the Lord has on his mind is not only the equipping and the sending, but his primary things, the order in which he relates to us as the church is your relationship with me and your relationship with one another. And the longer and the greater we get and the better we get at loving one another, then there's a greater witness. First, sacrificially. Let me say to you, friends, offenses will come. They've already come. You all, we're all, everybody in the room understands this. We have to determine that what has happened to me, I am not going to hold on to that. You have to make that determination in your heart, will, and mind. And it feels very soothing and self-loving to hold on to it and feel so vindicated. They were so wrong. They were so misunderstood me. And, and, and I've been wrongfully hurt and betrayed and slandered. And you can just pity party. The Lord said, as I have loved you, he made a determination, and so must we, that I'm not going to stay there. It does not go well. 
The longer I repeat your offense, it just stirs up the potential for certainly unlove, hatred, bitterness, depression, confusion. Determine not to allow the, the offense to fester. Secondly, take initiation. Initiate an action plan for yourself. Something that I'm going to do instead of what I normally do, which is to think about how bad they are, which of course means how good I am, and instead I'm going to stop doing that and start doing something else. What's the thing you need to do? Pray. Pray for them. It is, it's wonderful. It changes your whole countenance and your whole attitude toward the brother or sister. Bumped into a friend yesterday afternoon. Well, sort of. Won't get into any details, but I'll tell you this. Our eyes locked and he took a right turn and he deaded, headed down the aisle in Wegmans. He did not want to talk to me. And it broke my heart. It was like, there's no reason for that, bro. I'm so sorry that you were in that prison. Yeah, I made mistakes. Yeah, we've talked about it. He clearly hasn't gotten over it. He hasn't determined and he hasn't initiated. I had to do that too. And I'm just standing here to tell you I am free. And I was looking forward to maybe a little chat. But it didn't happen. Jesus prayed before he was arrested, did he not? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, I'm going to be treated horribly for things I didn't do. And you're going to judge me, and I don't deserve it. Nevertheless, not your will, my will, your will be done. The other thing that comes out of this little portion of scripture is the Lord says, kind of interesting, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Interesting. Brothers and sisters, as you leave here, especially you who will leave here and you find yourself in another church, and for all of us who are here and we're in this church, right? How do we love one another? Sacrificially and mutually, right? Open communication. The Lord never called his disciples servants or slaves, all right? What he's saying to them is that there's just been this open, honest, transparent conversation that we have had. Communication. We need to talk. I say this often in premarital counseling, especially to the men. Use words. Use lots of words. I've studied the Song of Solomon and the relationship between Solomon and his future bride. And his words were almost as many as hers. Stereotypically, women talk more than men. Solomon was a talker. And that was very, very important. It's very vital. Men talk to your wives. Wives talk to your husbands. Brothers and sisters talk to each other. In fact, we were at James and Roxy's wedding, having a great time at the reception, and a friend said something we were sitting next to, never met her before. And she said something very good. We were talking about this idea of communication. She said, communication is the keyhole. Comprehension is the key. I thought, that's good. I'm going to write that one down. Do you mind if I borrow that? <laughs> right? Be patient. Listen well. Be humble to seek to understand the other in this context of loving one another. And then finally, the Lord said, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He actually gave them, in a, if you will, a promotion. They benefited from his sacrificial, mutual love for them. It advanced them. They were, they were better off as a result. And of course, that's true for all men who are in relationship with Christ. But he's talking about with each other. It's the branch with the branch. We're all hanging out on the same vine. Sometimes the branches get competitive. 
I want more of him, and I don't like that you've got more of him. You seem more fruitful than me. Got to put a stop to that. <laughs> it's crazy stuff that we do in the church. And so the Lord said, it seems like there's a, a sense of, of serving that the other might benefit from our relationship in them. One of the, and I'll close with this, one of the greatest examples of this very thing was Jonathan and Saul, right? In 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan's, or David, or sorry, I said Jonathan and Saul, Jonathan and David. David's just killed Goliath. 1 Samuel 18, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. All right, this is my abbreviated first verse there. And it says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. What a great, what a perfect example of what we just talked about. There was sacrifice. When Jonathan took it off, he then gave it to David. There's a mutuality there. But he also promoted David. I'm second, bro. <laughs> I may be the son to the king, but you're the king. And in that one simple act, Jonathan displayed for us the words of Jesus in living color. Love one another. Determine, make initiation. Share what you have. Communicate well. And then the end of verse, uh, chapter 15. And this is the branch with the world. The branch with the world. Odd, isn't it, that the Lord's in this room and he, he brings up the word hate like multiple times. Very harsh. But he's very real with them. In fact, in chapter 16, Verse 6, he said, I've said these things to you, and sorrow has filled your heart. This has just kind of ruined your day. Nevertheless, he says in verse 7, I tell you the truth. And you're going to thank me for this. Because if I hadn't told you and it happened, you'd go, I wish you, Jesus, you pulled a fast one on us. You should have told us this was coming. I'm telling you it's coming. So there is a separation, brothers and sisters, and enjoy it. I'm the true vine. This is the branch with the world. I don't have really a whole lot to say about this, um, except I will say that uh, please let's understand world. John loves this word world. And you have to understand it in context. All right? Famous verse, John 3.16. God so loved the world. In context, it means mankind. But Jesus isn't referring to mankind. Although men live in the world, the world here in context seems to indicate an organized system. It's a system of society that is hostile to God and under the influence of the devil. When Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, the devil took him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, they're all mine. I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship. So it's an organized system of society that is hostile to God and under the influence of the devil. So what is the, the organized worldly system? How would you define it? What's it feel like or sound like? probably a lot of definitions to that. But I take a clue from the devil himself in the Garden of Eden. Reject God's sovereignty. Live for yourself. You'll be like God. Self-actualization. The same message that was there at the beginning, brothers and sisters, I don't need to tell you, it's the air we breathe. It has been there for all time. But we live in an era where we are being bombarded with it with greater consistency and, and intensity than ever before in human history. 
by virtue of a digital information world that we live in, that we carry around in our pockets. It is, it's the air we breathe. Live for yourself. Don't depend on God. Question everything. It comes in the form of evolutionary theory. Personal realization, universalism, many roads to heaven. We all end up in the same place. Doesn't really matter what you believe. God is love. That's the world system. That's the lies of the devil. It's the air that we're breathing all day long. But it's not having a detrimental effect because we're in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And he's the true vine. And by the truth of his word and the spirit of truth, we have perspective and discernment. We have a voice and we can stand up above the crowd and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. Let me just say this. Not all believers are persecuted as Jesus has described here. Not all persecution is violent. Not every unbeliever hates Christians. But the world always hates Christ and Christians and his church. Always. So how shall we then live? And the Lord closes chapter 15. And he says, when the helper has come... <laughs> whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And I think in two ways. First, in context, he will reassure us, know what I believe is true. I can't tell you how many times I've had to have that conversation with myself in the midst of uncertainty and instability mentally and emotionally. It's like, I'm going out, I'm going to tell myself what is true. I know you're in my life. I know I'm going to heaven. I know you, your word of God is true. And there's a whole bunch of testimonies in my life where you have shown yourself faithful. So no, I may not know what the rest of this next minute holds, but I know those things and I'm not moving. And if I have any doubt, I can talk to my wife and I can talk to my family and, I can, and we can all be in fellowship and I can talk to other brothers and sisters and stay in community. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he testifies to you personally. I'm his and he's mine. God is my father. But then the other thing, of course, too, is he testifies to those who are in the world. We go on the offensive. We're not offensive but we go on the offensive. You hear me? And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Again, I'll just close with Paul's words, some of the most famous words to his brother, his son, Timothy, who was drawing back because life in the ministry, life as a Christian was very hard in Ephesus where Timothy would, had been serving. 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 and 8, you guys are familiar. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. I love that. He's given us the spirit of power, ability to get one foot out of bed and to go out and to just humbly serve the Lord today and of love, as we've already described, to live sacrificially and, and so on with each other and with other fellow men. And self-control, which I love that aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Self-control. I'm not going to lose control over the insanity that's going on in my life right now. The Holy Spirit is going to keep me bound to Jesus, the true vine. And I may not know what the next thing is going to be, but I know that he's alive. And I'm attached to him. I'm going to wait for further direction and instruction and grace. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Church, you couldn't have a better commencement address. It's from the mouth of Jesus himself. I am just absolutely pleased with myself <laughs> for the Lord for bringing this text to bear here on this Senior Sunday so that you all have heard from Jesus. Walk by faith, love one another, be strong and of good courage. But it all starts with him. He's the true vine. Let's stand and pray. You ever heard this little poem? A song is not a song until it's sung. No, how's it go? It's not a song until it's sung. It's not a bell until it's rung. It's not love until it's given away. Freely you have received, freely give. Measure your life by loss, not by gain. Not by wine drunk, but by wine poured forth. For love's strength stands in love's sacrifice. And he who suffers most has most to give. Lord, thank you for speaking to us, your church, this morning with the same concern and compassion that you had on that day. You have it now, Lord. You are unchanging. Pray we'd walk by faith, love one another, and be strong and of good courage for your glory until you come back again or until you take us to yourself and richer and in poorer and all the variations that happen in life. We thank you, Lord, that you're unchanging. You surely are a rock for us, a mighty fortress. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you, brothers and sisters. <laughs>